Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CS175, Terrorism, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 285, March the 3rd, 1993. This evening, Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rushduni, and I will discuss terrorism. Terrorism is a very, very important subject because from time to time in history, it has been a major a tool used by some group or very often by some civil government in order to destroy the will of the people or to destroy a state or to destroy a particular movement. The Roman Empire, for example, used terror against the Christians. Joseph Stalin at one point had his men go out and seize people for slave labor camps in terms of a quota without any relationship to any real or imagined offense. The result was to create total fear by means of this instrument of total terror. As I indicated, <clears throat> terror can be exercised by the state. The state can, for trivial offenses, move heavy forces against an individual or against a movement. We have seen at times for supposed crimes that are not very serious or sometimes are, but a disproportionate amount of force is used. We have seen, for example, two occasions of late where federal authorities have moved against someone or a group for violations of the Weapons Ownership Act. Now, I believe in living by the law insofar as such things are concerned. But on the other hand, why go after people who have never committed a crime, whether they're likable or not, makes no difference. When we have a situation where criminals have illegal weapons all the time. Do we round up criminals simply to put them away for illegal weapons? Of late it has been shown that prisoners in New York where there's a strong uh, licensing act and gun control have shot one another in the prison with guns. Why is nothing done to go after criminals? You see, this is the use of terror. To use it against people 
in order to create an atmosphere of fear. Then you have uh, various groups, terroristic groups of which we have many in the world today. And we have had many in history. These groups try to disrupt everything in society in order to call attention to a cause they feel is important. I'm not going to say more there because I'd like Otto Scott to deal with the abolitionists and their campaign of terrorism and their agent, John Brown of Harper's Ferry. On the other hand, uh, to go back again to states, states can use terror in a fearful way to deal with legitimate grievances. For example, one of the things we are told in history books is that Louis XIV revoked the Edict of Nantes because he wanted religious unity in the state. He wanted the state to be totally Catholic. And the Huguenots, of course, were Calvinists. Now, no doubt, there is an element of truth there, but it is basically a lie. The Huguenots got into trouble. They had the Edict of Nantes revoked. They had troops quartered on them, lawless men who were given carte blanche to rape their wives and daughters, not primarily because of their faith, but because they were the ones who called attention in France to two things. One, Louis XIV's heavy burden of taxation, and second, his foreign policy, which was killing off a generation of youth. They expressed what all Frenchmen felt, but none others dared to talk about. And so they had a campaign of total terror launched against them by law. So states can use legalized terror against people. This goes back to the Roman Empire when in the latter years of the empire, progressively, taxation was extorted from people through total terror. When you were called in for a tax examination, you were brought in by the troops. You were then tortured and sometimes killed because they felt that you had to go to the extreme to get a man to admit where he had hidden his wealth, untaxed wealth. So terror has been of two kinds in history, by the state and by radical revolutionary groups within the state. Douglas, would you like to continue now? Well... I was thinking on the way over here that uh, Otto made a statement uh, some time back that men who resort to profanity are 
men that have run out of ideas, and I tend to think that some of the people uh, that are championing movements, uh, such as uh, in the Middle East, uh, have run out of ideas too. They're no longer willing to wait for to uh, to coalesce their movement into a state. we have the same sort of thing in various uh, movements of so-called minorities here in the United States where it's uh, they want everything now uh, like in the the uh, feminist movement everything has to be done now Uh, that was the statement that was made during the 60s and the 70s by students in the universities they wanted uh, freedom for this now freedom for that now. Everything had to be done now, and if it wasn't done now, then terrorist methods of one kind or another would be employed, and we saw terrorism here in the United States indiscriminately used uh, with terrorist bombings uh, by the Minutemen and various other organizations, the Symbian Liberation Army, and uh, acts of terrorism against uh, innocent uh, uh, individuals was employed. And it seems to me that there's a parallel there, perhaps broadly drawn, but it's people who have run out of ideas. They, they become impatient. They're like children trying to achieve some end through uh, uh, terrorist means. What do you think, Otto? Well, <clears throat> terror by the state is the oldest form of terror. That's traditional terror. Mm-hmm. And terror by... Uh, <clears throat> you might say, armies against the state, armed force uh, without regard to law, the basis of terror. John Brown was uh, an original, partly by accident, I think, and partly because he wasn't entirely rational. But he committed terror against innocent, unarmed people in the name of a noble cause. Now, ordinarily he would have been arrested and hanged, and his pretensions to furthering a noble cause would have been dismissed. But by an accident of of the times, he, he, he announced his defense at a time when the penny press had just come on, come on stream and the telegraph had just come on stream. And the press in Kansas Territory at that time accepted his explanations as valid, that he killed people in order to advance the cause of anti-slavery, even though there were no slaves in the Kansas Territory at all, and therefore no slave owners. At any rate, they whitewashed the, the use of murder in a political cause, against unarmed civilians. Now that's the uh, formula for modern terror today. John Brown was picked up by the northern press first and then by the northern uh, abolitionist movement and then finally by the whole north. And his explanation was accepted as a valid reason for committing a murder against somebody who hadn't done anything wrong. And the nihilists and the anarchists and the rebels of Europe 
picked it up because the avant the United States at that time was an avant-garde country. Everyone watched us to see how we were going to solve a social problem, and in particular the problem of slavery. The Tsar of all the Russias got, uh, solved the problem of slavery by emancipating the slaves, very simply. The English paid the slave owner for the slave and had the, the slave owner emancipated. So up until John Brown, slaves were emancipated by a political act. Well, he chose terror. And his exam- the example of the United States, which used violence after the terror in the form of the war between the states, our solution to a social problem, in other words, in the 19th century, was violence. We unleashed modern terror upon the world because we gave the rationale for modern terror. That terror before had been uh, religious rationales or political rationale and so forth. In this case, it was a racial rationale. So we introduced racism and terror together. And the essence of modern terror is that innocent people are murdered as objects in an ideological conflict. Now, this is about as base as you can get. I had a friend, a seaman friend of mine, who was in uh, Vietnam, South Vietnam, during the troubles there, who was in a restaurant into which somebody on a bicycle going by had thrown a bomb. And he was slightly injured, but not much. But there were children in there. There were women in there. There were unarmed men in there. And this was hailed by our press as freedom fighters, as heroes. And, of course, we see the bottom of the gutter in North Ireland, the bombing of Waterloo Station, the attempt to kill the leaders of Britain, and so forth and so on. Horrible things being done. Men shot dead in front of their children. All in the name of a noble cause. So I've reached the stage, both by research and experience, where I do not want to hear about noble causes and violence in the same breath from any group. From any group. To go into the street is no way to win an argument. Yes, and even demonstrators for various causes who take to the streets and uh, are lawless, basically, even though they don't uh, kill anyone, are still terrorists. Well, they're beginning at the end. Mm-hmm. What do you do for an encore? Yes. If you have a noble cause, you can win victory for a noble cause. If you've got the high ground, why leave it? You can win through persuasion. You can win through argument. You can talk down people who are against a noble cause. I mean, the demographics of our society, for instance, have made abortion. Look, we now abort one-third of all the children conceived in the country. And this is the reason the Social Security system is losing its base. It's losing its young and it cannot pay for the old. And it's very simple. And recently I saw Harold O.J. Brown wrote a very interesting uh, illustration. He said a pyramid used to describe the human population. 
with the elderly, you know, at, at the small end of the pyramid and the great mass of the, of the young at the bottom. Now he said it's more like a palm tree with the elderly shedding off the top and nothing at the base. Mark? Well, uh, regarding terrorism, it makes me think of what uh, Paul said. I I believe it was in 1 Corinthians. He said not to keep company with extortioners. Terrorism is a form of extortion. To do what we say, or here's the penalty, and you don't want to suffer a penalty. So it's uh, it's a criminal act, in effect. It's the threat of a criminal. I'll harm you if you don't do things my way. Good illustration of that. Interesting that you should bring that up. From World Magazine, February 20, 1993. I'd like to read this. A homosexual group is picketing about a hundred restaurants in New York because those restaurants serve celestial seasoning teas. The group, New York Boycott Colorado, is targeting the tea company because its president refused to give homosexuals 100,000 for the campaign against Colorado's Amendment 2 a measure passed in November denying special rights to homosexuals. New York Boycott Colorado spokesman Chet Y explained the flap over tea, saying that by not becoming part of the solution, celestial seasonings remains part of the problem. The New York group is planning a tea party to throw celestial seasonings into the New York Harbor. The environmental group Greenpeace might need to be on hand to crash the party. Tea acid might damage the pH of the harbor. Now, there's a great deal of that kind of terrorism and blackmail going on because blackmail is a way of terrorizing people. We hear about this because celestial seasonings refuse to go along with it. There are reports that the funding for many a homosexual group comes from various organizations and firms who have given in to this terroristic threat. I, for one, am going to insist that Dorothy buy celestial seasoning teas for me. Their sales have gone up like a rocket. Yes, I think this has backfired on them. I Definitely. just wondered, did they, did they demand that Celestial Seasons in, uh, Seasons Tea donate the tea that they're going to use to make the protest with at no cost? <laughs> well, they remind me of petulant children. You know, it's just, it, it's the kind of thing, the kind of act that you'd expect from, you know, the first or second grade on a playground in any school in the country. It's really a... Petulant children with bombs and AIDS. Yeah, well, it's getting rather serious because the there's a palpable threat hanging over <coughs> hanging over Los Angeles. If the police officers that are now being treated to double jeopardy are not found guilty, there is a uh, threat being uh, fairly 
openly repeated in the press that there'll be another L.A. riot. And there have been a number of these kind of threats from the black community regarding various trials over various criminals. And I don't know when white America is going to admit that this is a form of terrorism. But the point appears to me to be inescapable. Well, it's you know, you've got the media yelling fire in a crowded theater. Uh, you know, because they're putting Maxine Waters on in prime time, telling them that it's okay to do this and making excuses for them. you got the mayor of Los Angeles, all of these uh, major figures in black politics, black politicians, telling them that it's all right, involving well, them of any well, guilt. It's been working for them. Sure. If there's a second riot, it's going to bring a whole new chapter to uh, the cities in this country because they're predicting this one. It's not going to be spontaneous. Right. And if they do it again, and if it's not put down with a show of force immediately, they're going to get the idea that now that we can threaten to riot. That's a whole new chapter in city politics. They've already, already threatened that they will. Right. Well, they've been doing this. It's just that this is a little more open. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, uh, I say we, most of the people that I know have been acting like sleepwalkers. We've been living under the threat of physical violence in this country for a number of years, in every city. And pretending that it's not true, that these are isolated, unrelated incidents. And when we hear racism in blaring tones, and when we look at the crime statistics, how could we deny the fact that there is an undeclared war underway? We're so afraid to even mention it. That's terror. Well, terrorism is not new. It has a long history. And one aspect of terrorism, or rather its history, which is very important, is the Renaissance. Very much so. Uh, Terroristic tactics were used everywhere. Absolutely. They had pitched battles in the piazzas, in the square. And blood and death and murder by poison, by every means conceivable, was commonplace. Women put out contracts on their husbands, vice versa. I think it's interesting. I've forgotten the name of one of the great artists of the Renaissance who was a witness to a number of these bloody riots. Everything went. Every sense of honor except vengeance, Burkhardt said. The Renaissance really vindicated every kind of evil and every kind of terroristic activity. One of the problems of the Renaissance era was that in some spheres, such as the church, law had become so intricate and hidebound that it made it difficult for justice to function. 
shortly before the time of Alexander the Borgia Pope, when he was uh, a young man in the Vatican, he found that a high prelate was taking uh, some of the things that The Pope uh, was routinely signing, altering them, and then forging others to justify all kinds of acts as valid. For example, one nobleman gained permission to sleep with his sister from a forged papal bull. And it was difficult to move against the prelate. So they simply avoided uh, things and transferred him. They couldn't deal with him because it was too difficult. And Alexander Borgia learned from that. And that's how the most fearful of the Borgias operated when he became Pope. He realized that law can strangle itself with too many regulations. Well, people forget that the church is an institution of society. The church is not something that's sitting up there in the middle of the air. The Borgia popes and the Renaissance popes were a reflection of their society, just as the church in our time today is a reflection of our society. All these nerds, are reflections of what's going on around us. These are the ones who do not see the terror that stalks women in the streets, who don't see the corruption that runs through our government like a plumbing system. How long has it been since any of the mainline churches have ever risen up? It took Cardinal O'Connor in New York several weeks to pull himself together enough mm-hmm. to protest against the faggots who went in and tore the communion host out from the altar. Yes. It was several weeks before he even made a peep. Well, the church is supposed to be more than a human institution. When it is faithful to God, it represents the power of God in history but it too often is unfaithful. And this is our problem. We need now, as perhaps rarely ever before in history, a faithful church. And yet it has become appallingly silent or wimpish. Absolutely. I mean, if the church cannot stand up against sin right in front of it, what, what do we have? We have a false church. We have a yes. fake church. Well, you know the well-repeated uh, story about uh, Coolidge who went to church one day when Mrs. Coolidge was not too well, and when she he returned to the White House, she asked what the sermon was about. And he said, sin. And she said, well, what did the preacher say about it? He was against it. Now, it would be hard to find (laughs) preachers who are against it as vocally as they once were. They don't use the word. No. Mm -hmm. 
The word's gone out of the language. Together with the word hell. And the word honor. Yes. So we have a problem today because the church is silent. And not until the church starts speaking and starts, of course, rebuking its own members can it begin rebuking the world at large. And it needs to do both. Well, the silent role of the church in a time when terror is increasingly in the air the world over is a sorry aspect of our time. An example of terrorism against the church exists in San Francisco. Chuck and Donna McElhaney, pastor and wife, are at the San Francisco Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Some years ago, he advertised for an organist. One came who professed to believe uh, in the in Christianity, professed to be a Calvinist, a devout Christian, and so on. And within a matter of uh, two or three weeks, Chuck found the man was a homosexual. He had been <coughs> set up. Well, when he fired the man, and he went and explained the matter very graciously, told him what the problem was and why, as a church, they could not have him. The man listened courteously and graciously, but uh, it was perhaps a setup because he went immediately to an attorney, and Chuck landed in the courts. Since then, he has been subjected to terroristic activities. It came close on one occasion to killing him and his wife. How so? How did they do that? A firebomb, a, a Molotov cocktail, thrown through their window into the bedroom. And uh, the church and the house have been vandalized repeatedly. The uh, police have done nothing. The mayor's office has promised to help and has done nothing. A lot of uh, pastors and churches have backed off and refused to get involved because they're afraid. And the whole situation is a very, very ugly one. And it has taken courage for people to stay faithful to the church. Now, this is not a unique situation. It's perhaps more extreme than most. But uh, it is an ugly situation. Well, another area where you're seeing terrorism employed is in the environmental movement. You know, driving spikes in trees so yes. that people will become injured when they cut the lumber is a pure terrorism because you never know when you're going to come upon one. And these saws shatter. They're 
they're rotating at tremendous speeds and they have tremendous mass and if they fly apart the shrapnel can kill a lot of people so uh, you know the press has played that down and uh, uh, but it's a very serious matter well the press hasn't been firebombed yet no but it will happen if they turn against the environmental movement or against the homosexuals well the uh, we have so many now it's pretty difficult to say which group but we have a number of groups who have been encouraged by the press and by the government and by our wonderful social scientists to believe that they have a right to injure in the name of their cause and to injure institutions like churches to in injure schools uh, you recall during the uh, 60s where a bomb was set off in a university which killed a scientist there and so forth and if I remember correctly very little effort was made to track down the perpetuators of that crime because these are politically correct criminals I remember during the 50s when I was going to came back out of the military went back to college I remember professors lamenting the fact that students at that time seemed to be very uh, phlegmatic uh, they didn't have any fire. They were not championing. Yes, they were law-abiding. They weren't championing any causes, and uh, they were floating various buzzwords, <coughs> code words, really, to take action. And you see, in all of these various groups, the environmental movement, uh, all these various movements, they have code words for taking action. Well, the. Uh most of this action in the name of a cause is now accepted as uncriminal. One type of terrorism that has become very, very commonplace is to refuse to allow a person their due freedom of speech. Oh, that's a very big point. To interrupt lectures this has happened to both of us, Otto. Oh, yes. Uh, and to interrupt uh, even sermons on some occasion and church services, as at right. St. Patrick's. Right. Because the belief that you are on the right somehow gives the terrorist the freedom to violate everyone else's rights. Well, in the University of Wisconsin under Shalala, she issued a code of forbidden words and forbidden expressions and they took her to court and the court said of course the First Amendment doesn't allow that. On the other hand the courts have not protected the First Amendment rights of religion in this country and especially of Christianity. Christians are now being told that they have no right to express their Christian viewpoint because that's construed as pushing it down somebody's throat or forcing their beliefs upon somebody else. The very expression of their beliefs is, in effect, yes. being outlawed. And, of course, if we haven't speech, we haven't anything. We have no freedom whatever if we can't say what we think. Mm -hmm. 
On the other hand, and I have to say this, that to allow somebody to muzzle you is to share in your own slavery. The Christians have only themselves to blame for the fact that people have dared to insult Christianity so freely, so often, and on every level. They wouldn't do it to another group. Well, terrorism by the state, I think, is growing rapidly in this country, definitely, and all over the world. And terrorism by the state is an effective means of destroying any dissent and any hope of remedying ills. I mentioned earlier Louis XIV and the Huguenots. Now, there are scholars who have said, there are some who poo-poo it, of course, that uh, France lost a great deal of its industrial uh, ability when it lost the Huguenots because many of them migrated, although it was illegal, and those that remained, much of what they had was with one means or another destroyed. So France paid a price, but the terrorism against dissent was exercised in a number of ways. Now we have the taxing power of the state, their ability to audit you, uh, to tell you that you owe the money, or to walk in under EPA, and to uh, do so without a warrant, to tell you you are fined so much, and most small firms can't afford to fight such cases, that's terrorism, and they know it. Due process has slowly been eroded and eliminated in some cases. You're denied due process by the regulators. Well, this this is true. And, of course, you began, I think, Rush, with just talking about these uh, armed onslaughts by the state against yes. individuals. The incidents down in Waco, Texas now, and the Weaver family in Idaho. Yes. Of course, the, the Waco, Texas thing is not yet over, as we are discussing it tonight. Ordinarily, if you know that somebody has violated the uh, Firearms Act, uh, you could serve them with a warrant without going to the extent of 60 men in armor and heavy uh, guns themselves mounting an assault against a residence. Uh, you'd think that's a very strange way to serve a legal paper. I'm very uneasy about both of these incidents, not only because of the violence used by the authorities and the deaths that have ensued from both instances, and the fact that uh, in one instance the, the warrant was being served for a misdemeanor. I don't know what the category of the second of the Waco thing is concerned, 
but it's given rise to a big blast against uh, people owning guns at all. And also, there is a sort of a, a fallout against Christianity. Mm-hmm. They're talking about cults. They don't define a cult. And they, uh, obviously, this fellow is uh, not a rational man, but they're not saying that he's irrational. What they're saying is that he is a fundamentalist out of control. Now, the word fundamentalist has become a pejorative. And what does it mean? It means an orthodox Christian, really. Well, the word cult, of course, today is enough to damn any group. However, the word cult basically means worship. You can speak of the cult of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the cult of the Virgin Mary, and in both Protestant and Catholic dictionaries the word means worship. But uh, today it is given an ugly meaning, and we are told that we today are enlightened and prior to our time intolerant Christianity prevailed. And yet in the last century, when the church was the dominant cultural force, you had groups that were atheistic and communistic, the various colonies that uh, uh, Robert Owen and various of the transcendentalists were a part of. You had the Oneida colony of noise, sexual freedom was what they were proclaiming. You had a host of such groups all over the country. You had in uh, what is now Sequoia National Park um, in the last century uh, a group that was at least socialistic if not communistic. And it was one of a number of groups from coast to coast. Yeah, well, we used to have a lot of eccentrics. Uh, eccentrics were almost uh, as numerous here as they are in Britain. Do you remember the House of David movement? Oh, indeed. Those baseball players with the long muffs, of course. Yes. There were several groups that were found to be indulging in very offbeat activities. That's true. And yet the authorities leaned over backwards until there was something thoroughly criminal. The tolerance was amazing. Well, it's hard to say whether they went after that group in Waco, Texas, because they were uh, offbeat uh, Christians, or whether they had guns or what. But in Mm. any event, the way they went at it has been a nightmare. Yes. People have been killed, Mm -hmm. and of course the attackers have been killed, and they've suddenly developed a great deal of patience. You remember uh, back in the 20s there was this city created by, uh, I've forgotten his name, one uh, man, uh, and it was called Zion. Rutherford, wasn't it? No, no. Rutherford, Rutherford was, was Jehovah's Witnesses. Witnesses. Yes, he used to put a, a box in front of a cathedral and mm-hmm. start talking about the horror of Rome. 
Yes. But this uh, group in Zion was really far out. And nobody bothered them. They allowed them to create their village, which became a city, and to continue their activities. And now we've taken them to the court because the city seal has something about God in it. And the Supreme Court has ruled against them. So our supposedly tolerant era is the most intolerant in American history. Well, we're, we're being pressed into a corner, and it's interesting to watch. <clears throat> Some groups are not. Freedom of expression, uh, freedom of speech, if you want to call it that, is certainly enjoyed by the black community. Yes. It's the white Christian community that does not enjoy freedom of it's speech. It's the lawless black community. The lawless black, yes. Yes, the Christian black community... Is silent. It's under fire from the lawless black community. Well, the Christian black community is like the white, black, uh, white Christian community. It's mainly not heard. Yes. But so... We have intolerance in areas certain areas we have it's almost Orwellian yes. pigs are pigs but some pigs are better than others well the press doesn't seek out responsible spokesmen from the responsible black community or the responsible white community they only go for the you know the Maxine Waters and the Jesse Jacksons and and uh, uh, and throw the spotlight on you know some screwball like the guy down in Texas I mean that's that's all the press uh, uh, puts out. So the general population thinks that's all there is. Well, of course you know that it's contagious. You know that violence evokes violence. That eventually Germany and Austria both had armies in the street, private armies. They had the communist army. They had the Nazi army in, in Vienna. And in Austria, they had similar armies. People begin to band together, and the uh, the history of democracies has been of increasing crimes against property, and increasing disorder, and increasing rise of demagogues. That so far we are going down the classic path. During the Renaissance, uh, not only the noblemen, but well-to-do businessmen had private armies. Yes. They did not dare venture into the street without 20 or 40 men, depending on the place. Well, the, it goes all the way back to Babylon, when the rich had hired beaters who used to beat the crowd away when they walked down the street. Uh, we didn't have police uh, in uh, until Britain had set up regular police under Sir Robert Peel. Until then, wealthy people had bodyguards, and if you didn't have a bodyguard, you had a nice long knife of your own, and you had clubs. The poor men carried a club. Other men carried a cane or a sword cane. So you defended yourself. But we have here the weird business of escalating violence in the streets while the government wants to disarm the citizenry. 
Well, it has no love for the citizenry, and it wants them helpless, apparently, because nothing else makes sense. Well, we will continue to be helpless until men come back to biblical law and to a strong Christian faith. The state is powerful today because Christians are weak and terrorists command uh, countries today because there are not enough godly men ready to act and to take over the government by means of self-government and applying God's law in their spheres. I believe we are not going to come out of this crisis by anything the state does because the state is a part of the problem nor any legislation nor any increase of the policing power however much it may in some areas be needed and in others definitely not we're only going to come out of it by a return to a biblical faith a return to the Lordship of Christ a return to a recognition that God's law alone provides justice I believe anything short of that is going to leave us in more trouble than we already have well since our time is nearing an end why don't we go around and each one say uh, something by way of conclusion Douglas well one of the common denominators that I see in all of the social groups in the United States since they employ a particular set of techniques is that they all seem to be Marxist driven whether it's the environmental movement or any of these other movements uh, that seek so-called social justice when in effect they want more than equal treatment and uh, you know people need to take a look at that and evaluate that for what it is on its face but you're right uh, there is no other viable option and uh, people have got to stop looking to government to solve their problems that's how we've gotten ourselves in this tremendous debt that we're in and uh, it's it's a debt that apparently there's no uh, there's no end to it it's uh, spiraling out of control with no end in sight and it's going to destroy this country well the thing that killed Rome in the end was that <clears throat> it lost control of its economics it lost control of its national ethos and it lost control of its purpose now we appear to be heading rather well toward an economic uh, crisis an economic crisis by the way was what brought on the French Revolution the government would collapsed the people were still rich the uh, upper bourgeoisie and the aristocracy became you might say socialist and socialists are uh, socialism must be operated under compulsion because it goes against human nature and it goes against the people in the end they wound up with Napoleon in the end the Romans wound up with a series of Napoleons 
so far that's been the classic history of the end of democracy because no matter how you slice it the mob cannot run a country uh, Rome also lo lost control of the army yes because the army made more and more demands so that there were so many rules and regulations that it was not a, an army that could, could function anywhere at any time. Well, it lost coherence. Yes. And this, in the end, is what happens. You, it becomes, you have an incoherent society. Yes. And uh, one of our first tasks, I guess, and we do it to an extent in the easy chairs and in our writings, we try to bring coherence back to the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, I would only say that uh, in many ways we've already yielded to terrorism out of necessity. There are places we don't go, parts of town we, we don't go into. We lock our cars, we lock our doors at night. We changed our behavior as a society. There are situations where we don't go into a store if the wrong type of people happen to be about. So our whole society has, in effect, yielded to the, th the threat of terror, the threat mm -hmm. of violence. Yes, and it's interesting that many teachers and students in the state schools admit that they are afraid when they go to school and that it would be stupid if they were not. That is one of the effects of that creeping terror. Afraid, yes. yes. Well, we live in difficult times, but men have lived in more difficult times, more than once. The problem is, there is never any progress when people sit back and wait for someone to do something about it. Progress and a solution only comes when men under God take steps to alter the nature of men and society. This is the slow way, and that's why terrorists are so dangerous. They want a quick solution to everything. They're going to demonstrate, they're going to kill, and utopia is supposed to come in, but it doesn't. There is no solution apart from that which is in our hands as Christians. Well, thank you all for listening. God bless you and guide you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.